Okay. <clears throat> I've got 702. So there's still some people signing up in the, uh, the hallway f for the nursery. Um, so we might wait just for a second. <clears throat> well, we'll go ahead and pray, and then let me just kind of give you an announcement or explain one further that was made Sunday. So, Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege of being here. Bless all the activities tonight, all the teaching, and we pray that, especially in the young hearts, that your gospel seed would be sown. And we're, again, thankful for the privilege of being here. Be with us, we ask tonight, as we spend our time discussing your directions for how we are to live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I th <clears throat> Sunday, I wasn't here Sunday. Um, and I got a long, sad story to tell you, but... Um, I, I won't go into all the details. Um, just that I had a really enjoyable time with a um, big molar pulled with real big roots, apparently, and they broke. And the dentist had told me ahead of time that this was scheduled last Friday. He said that this isn't going to come out easy. And I was glad to hear that. And so because I love Dennis. Um, <clears throat> but so as a backup, I thought, well, if, if I'll get Tanner, um, who I hear did a good job Sunday. But also, um, I was just in no condition to be here. So I had Dan make the first of a number of the same announcements that we're going to make. And that is, um, it's 2016 is the last time that we updated our uh, photograph file, which is just on my computer. We've stopped doing um, photographic directories. I don't know how many of those we've done over the years, but we quit doing them at the recommendation, it seemed wise, of <clears throat> some of our um, active and retired uh, law enforcement people that people are even using like picture directories of churches or schools or whatever it might be to track people down or you know somehow um, <clears throat> get information on them so we quit having a photographic directory and we began to compile one that was just for me so <clears throat> then I can show the other pastors somebody's picture, but it's not for public, um, you know, publication. It's just for me to, as, as newer people come to our congregation, to memorize their names and, and get keep things straight there. Um, <clears throat> so since it's been that long, there's quite a few people that we need pictures of, or that I do. And so Phil has volunteered to be that person. And what we're trying to do is, the, I won't ever bother you, okay? I'm not going to write everybody that's on my, in this computer file that, you know, we need money, you know, whatever. Um, <clears throat> it's just for my information, putting a face with a name, because with a you know, good number of people that attend here, and actually... This is the um, this is the only church I've pastored <clears throat> that is a bit different as far as how big the congregation is versus the average attendance on a given Sunday. And it's due to the the wide culture here of shift work. So your your best, I mean your best hardcore, never miss church. And if they never get sick and they never go on vacation, <clears throat> they're here 50% of the Sundays. Well, so we, then you have two services. 
each Sunday. So we have a first service and a second service group. We have the shift workers <coughs> that are, you know, off and on. So with a congregation that's, that will average 350 or something on a Sunday, we've got probably strongly 500 that would be considered regular attenders, but they're just never here on the same Sundays. So that makes it harder for me to keep track of <clears throat> faces and names, people who then if you are a shift worker and you're gone for a couple weeks vacation, it's not like I'm going to forget your name, but I might, okay? Um, so anyway, that's what we're trying to do. And we'll encourage people for a while uh, to get their pictures taken. And <clears throat> then I'll load that on my computer and we'll be done. Okay? All right. <clears throat> um, what do you think... And there can be varied opinions here. I don't think there's necessarily a right and wrong. What, what would you say in the next, say, from now till five years from now, will be one of the main ethical, moral issues in the more conservative, small e, evangelical, um, Bible, at least professing Bible-believing congregations. What do you think will be a, um, a major issue to confront us? Yeah. Okay, homosexual pastors, gay marriage and so forth. Other thoughts? Nobody's got any other thoughts whatsoever. Yeah. Trans, okay. All right. <clears throat> I'm sure there will be the continued, um, sadly, the continued erosion of confidence in Scripture and adherence to Scripture. It's amazing, even today, how many, uh, how the number is dropping of people that view the Scripture as God's authoritative word um, to be, um, <clears throat> not to be, amended um, it's not to be argued with um, that is that's a core issue that we've been battling for some time but it's reached what I consider to be a, a you know a tipping point even in the churches that profess to be Bible believers Anything else? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. If you didn't hear that, if we you know continue toward a police state, we could add. Not only will will we have to hide Bibles, will we will we have to begin to go underground? Um, the massive, massive church in China, which is difficult to estimate, um, but they—they're mostly—they have an—they have a government-sanctioned um, church that the government allows. Well, um, it's completely phony, um, and they have even translated a new. Uh, or are translating a new Bible um, that makes the state and the party God. I mean, it's insane. Um, so the true church has had to go underground. They sing, there are all kinds of, uh, with social media and everything else, 
no matter how hard they try to, the government tries to block stuff, news gets out. Um, Bibles have to be hidden. Meetings have to be, you know, clandestine. Um, singing and much speaking, but especially singing, they sing in, in whisper. So they're not overheard. That will put an, that would put an end, by the way, to the American scene and the quote worship wars. Well, I don't like that song. Well, I like this song. I, not if you got a whisper. Uh, there's no bickering over that. <laughs> that that fight settled. Um, so, you you know you don't know what just um, a few years, especially a shift in generation would bring. Yeah, I think <clears throat> you're going to be really glad you came tonight um, <clears throat> to get more, just more and more um, inquiries. Um, you know, I've read ever since, well, I was a child, really, but especially on my own, um, read the Bible my, all, my whole life. I can't, couldn't tell you the number of times I've read about you know, the mark of the beast, the inability to buy or sell, and the kinds of things that, you know, will, will be clamped down. Many, many of those kinds of things have been happening and have happened in countries around the world already, and, you know, centuries, I suppose, ago, but not here. We've not experienced it. And so I think, um, you know, it's almost strange for me to begin those. I used to think, well, the mark of the beast, I don't know what that is. It says you'll get it in your right hand or your forehead. And, and I'm, I, you know, I thought, well, I don't know. You know. And nobody, you speculated, but it wasn't too you know, much in the forefront. Then I remember getting calls from, um, in my first pastor, still in my 20s, getting calls from several people who were just panicked because they had gotten their new credit card in the mail and it had that hologram kind of thing on it. And then the stories usually picked up a lot of rumor and a lot of, of added stuff. And then it, it was, you know, it didn't happen to me. I called the bank and they just said, well, you know, it's no big deal. But, but I did hear from a friend who heard from another friend who heard from her second cousin that the bank said, the bank appeared very suspicious and they said, send that back right now. It was a mistake that you ever got it. And so, you know, everybody's thinking, okay, the mark of the beast is going to be on your credit card. Um, anybody remember any of that? Well, now it's gotten to where... I just read the other day, um, wasn't here, it was someplace in Europe, but talking about for the purposes, for, for ease, everything of course is for ease. It'll just make it easier, make it better, make it safer. For safe, more safekeeping um, of our personal information, you just have a chip put under your skin. Um, they didn't say where, you know, whether it was on your right hand or your forehead. I don't think they mentioned forehead. But the point is, it is easily imaginable how they can survey us and track movements. Um, and all they have to do, if everything, your information is in a chip... It's simple to say you're you don't buy anything. You're not allowed to. Yeah. Two things. Um, first, when you're talking about the church in China, 
our neighbor to the north of us, right now there are 57 pastors still yeah. in jail for the last two years. Um, so it's not that far away. Another thing was, this morning on the news, there was a report, and this is in our country here, that um, the Catholic Catholic high school in, I think it was New Jersey, expelled a student because he was opposed to the boys being able to go in the girls' bathroom. And that's the Catholic yeah. school. <clears throat> and the district diocese or whatever it is, they said they don't want to get involved in this dispute. So even within the church, they're starting to move away. We need to be on our knees more. <clears throat> We're, yeah. Um, Dan mentioned Canada and the, the you know, bizarre direction they're taking. Um, and that there's, you know, 50 plus pastors still over the, 57 plus the, or, uh, you know, from the whole COVID thing and, and all that. Um, and for um, speaking up against drag shows and, and stuff like that. Um, and I, you know, we keep thinking it won't happen here, but it continues just to, you know, to come closer. Um, and I know the only thing we can do, though, I was thinking about a lot of this this morning, Jesus said, sufficient to the day is the evil, just, just a minute, sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. So, just worry about today. <laughs> Take no thought for the morrow. Um, he didn't mean to be irresponsible or whatever, but um, only God, I guess, I don't know if I can put this in words very well, only God's got the capacity not only to know everything, but to know what to do with everything, okay? As we in vastly increase the amount of information available to us, um, we load ourselves up with more and more frustrating information because I can't do anything about it. I can't even do anything about what's going on in many cases in Gillette, let alone what's going on in the Middle East or wherever else. Um, yet, by knowing it, we tend to take it on ourselves. And then we fret over it. We worry about the future. And that is not abnormal. Um, the fact that Jesus warned us, you know, don't be anxious about tomorrow, is he knew we would be anxious about tomorrow. Um, and he understood that, but he said, I've got it. I, I'm on the ball. I know what's going on. I know what's going on before it happens. Um, but as we live in, in a shrinking world, boy, it's a much, much, much greater burden for us to go about our day, keep our attention on the what matters to, you know what God wants me to do today and the issues I face today what do I do in this in, in my little corner of my little world there's got to be on our part some ability to shut some of this out and just say Lord uh, I can't handle all that I don't know what to do about it you're big enough to figure it out um, help me just worry about what my responsibilities are. Um, way, way back when I first got into the pastorate, um, I was under a superintendent, okay? Now, I knew him since I was a little kid. Um, but he was a good superintendent. But um, he had... 65 or 70 churches total in Oregon and Washington that he was the superintendent over. And I, I was one of those, okay? 
Um, there were 67 or how many others besides my church that he had to worry about. <clears throat> and of course, as I got all of two, maybe one, two and a half, three years of experience under my belt, I knew what he ought to do as a superintendent. You understand what I mean? And so, by the way, how many ever years, 20 years later, I guess it was something, um, I became a superintendent. <laughs> and when, then when you become a superintendent, you have guys under you that think they know how to be superintendent. And when I was under superintendent, I thought I knew. But when I became one, I thought, no, I don't know. Um, it's always, we all know, always know what the boss ought to do. I mean, and most of them are dumb. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, they don't know what they're doing. Um, <clears throat> but in the middle of all that, I, I remember thinking about it, and, and George was his name. And I remember thinking, and even praying, and, you know, just thinking out in my own mind about some things he had told me about, some of the other, other churches and things that were going on. And I was half praying, half thinking, half talking to myself. I think this ought to be done. And it's like God just tapped me on the shoulder and said, I didn't elect you superintendent. <laughs> I put you in this church. You worry about this. There's plenty of trouble here. Good and bad you know, issues. There's plenty to do here. I didn't put you in that position. It's not your responsibility. It's not your business. That was a good little rebuke to me. You just keep, um, keep your own backyard. And we need to do that when it comes to God and this world's mess and the storm clouds we see gathering and the fear that all of that naturally engenders. We just have to say, Lord, thou knowest. Um, and, and I don't. Now, let me... Um, Let's see here. <clears throat> we've got tonight, and then we've got three more. And I've got, you know, quite a few smaller, I guess you'd say, issues, but not less important um, to, to kind of look at here. So I think what I want to do is let's just start with... Um, you're a solid believer. You take the word of God as authoritative. And what he has said about um, the whole issue that we have already looked at to some degree of sexual ethics, um, marriage, the sanctity of marriage. Um, and you have... Um, well, I'll just give you... I'll wait. Um, you have a um, relative. You have, let's say, you have a niece or a nephew that's dear to you. You've known them as they grew up and so forth. And um, you know they go off to college, and you kind of don't hear from them much. And then the you know little rumor mill starts, and pretty soon you get a tearful call from your sibling, the parent of the, this ne nephew or niece. Um, they've come out as gay. Well, that's obviously devastating. And then a couple of years later, the nephew or niece has come up with a partner, and now that uh, gay marriage is legalized, you get an invitation to that wedding. What do you do? What are the things that will go through your mind, batting back and forth? Um, and you know, I think every one of you here knows, that's, that's far from being just a hypothetical, okay? What do you do? Now, I want you to discuss that. Or give me some, then I'll speak from on high and tell you what, you know, the final answer is. So, somebody started saying something, but, yeah. I just say, I think it, for me, it would depend on the depth of the relationship with the person. Like, is it really worth it? Is it, you 
right? Other. Okay. Yeah. You, if it, you, if it was your daughter, you said I couldn't handle it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, it, so the so the thousands that listen to these recordings uh, will I'll, I'll summarize. It's the it's the compassion vers versus compassion towards a person, and um, yet not wanting to um, condone that or support it. Um, so it's, it's obviously, um, a difficult decision. Yeah. Uh, first Corinthians five says that, uh, it's not our job to judge those outside the church. It is our job to judge those outside, inside the church. So the issue is, and he wrote, I wrote to you in my letter previously not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are sexually immoral. <coughs> Okay. Other other thoughts. Maybe let me ask you this question, which just kind of comes to my mind. What does um, <clears throat> what's the likely message from your attendance? Let's see, let's broaden it. What's the likely implication of your attendance at, let's say, a same-sex wedding or a Republican or Democrat political rally or whatever? What does your presence imply? Support, approval. Whether we like it or not, that's a fact. We cite in the marriage vows or ritual. Um, <clears throat> I always use have since I was first started. I use, since the history of our denomination now and the um, other one I've been in, um, is Methodist from the Methodist denomination. I always use the Methodist um, ritual, which comes from the Church of England ritual. It's anyway. I just like it. I think it's it's reverent. It's lofty. It's you know. That's why I don't let people. So far. In 50 years, I've never allowed anybody to write their own vows. You know, people want to do that. And I'd rather say, you know, we can live with these. I take thee, so-and-so, to be my lawful. It's not, you know, gosh, I really like you. And that's the kind of dumb vows that people write for themselves, and I just can't take it. And so... Nobody's ever done it yet. I've never let them. Um, anyway, even in the introduction to the marriage vow, it speak or marriage vows and the ritual, it speaks of the sanctity and the uh, ordination of marriage by the Lord. In mentioning, it says the institution of marriage. It says was beautified and blessed when Jesus attended the marriage in Cana. And it was that where that was where his very first miracle was performed. Um, so what what did that say that Jesus 
went there. He put his stamp of approval on not only that particular um, union, but marriage of a man and a wife, man and a woman in general. Yeah. Yeah, the, and, and you're, you're right. In, in even some of the, in the really, really old ones, it, like in the current, I have a, um, three different dated, I mean, one from the 1800s, one from the 1500s, and one from the 1900s of the English Book of Common Prayer for the Anglican Church. And... Um, in the really old ones, they have that, you know, that the, those assembled here, if there's any reason why this marriage should not take place, you know, the old speak now or forever hold your peace thing. Um, and there were some mentions of the corporate approval of what was going on here for the, for the congregation. Um, most of the even old ones but newer than that no longer have that if you know this reason why these should not be joined. Usually it had to do, clear back then, it had to do with uh, unavailable records of marriages and being sure that you weren't involved in a bigamous situation where some guy had a, he had a wife and a family, you know, three shires away. So that's kind of, the legality thing has ceased to be an issue. Um, but I think a main issue, a main point is our attendance and the whole, our whole culture recognizes um, our attendance at something is interpreted as a stamp of personal approval. All you need to do is find, um, if you take political opponents, all you need to do is find, let's say I'm a Democrat and I'm after running against a Republican and I find out that he went to um, a rally where David Duke spoke, okay, or some KKK guy, whatever. I'm going to make more ads out of that and he's going to say, well, I didn't know what was going on and as soon as I found out, I laughed. But what's the underlying point to all of it? Your presence is tantamount to approval. That's got to be considered then in something like this question. And <clears throat> um, you, you brought up a good, you mentioned a good scripture and no, you're not on you know, the spotlight here. <laughs> But the scripture, we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. Okay? Now, this isn't trying to trip you up. Which commandment is that? How did Jesus identify that commandment? Second great commandment. Not the first. The first, he said, not only the first and foremost. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your and then your neighbors yourself. Okay? And he said, he, he broke the conversation, and the second is like unto it, love your neighbors yourself. Now, this is the wisdom I want to give to all of you. There's a reason Jesus said that love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, love your neighbor as yourself because the first commandment sets the boundaries for the second. It informs the second one. That makes sense? So I have no business 
there, there is always the love I'm to have for another human being in that. If they're hungry, I feed them and so forth. And I want and wish and pray for the best for them as God does wanting them not to perish but to repent. But he is never going to endorse what they're doing nor permit me to endorse it because if I love God with all my heart, that includes his word, his laws, his don'ts, his do's. I ha- if, I, if to love, and it's a misnomer, it's a misdefinition, but if in the course of loving my neighbor as myself, as I f- think that's what I'm doing, I am violating one of God's laws in condoning something here. I can't do that. Because again, this is the first commandment. That doesn't mean that I am to... Um, I, have, I have a gay niece. Now, I could be here a half an hour giving you names of famous preachers. Many who've, I, I, I will quote, and their books are in our library, saints of God who were in our home as we were growing up, and my sister, whose daughter went wayward, um, knew all that. This girl grew up. I was her pastor for four or five years. There wasn't a VBS, and as she got older, there wasn't a youth camp. There wasn't anything that she wasn't there. Um, she heard my father preach a million times. And well-known in America, evangelists heard him preach. She knows the Bible forward and backward. There's no, she knows everything. She's got more light than... She went off... She went off to college and had a Division I um, scholarship in basketball or Rhode Island new um, university. Anyway, ended up getting in an atmosphere there. And um, finally here several years ago, uh, married this girlfriend of hers. Um, now, after she did that, um, her mother, I don't know if you guys remember, it's been a couple of years ago at Christmas Eve, her mother was my, my sister. Um, she slipped and fell down the steps of one of those garage pull-down ladders and hit her head and died. Well, we were scattered. We were in the middle of COVID. I couldn't go to the funeral. No, you know, half my family, siblings couldn't go. So the next summer, um, six months later, we had a family reunion because we hadn't been together. We're scattered all over the country. And my niece and her wife, I don't know who gets to choose what day their wife or husband, um, it just makes you furious. But anyway, um, she came to it. Originally, I thought, you know what? Um, she's gone against so much light. It's such a repudiation of what... There's three pastors, active pastors, of the, the five siblings, me, my brother, my sister's husband, um, she knows better. I mean, this is not some case where it's a dear, poor, befuddled soul wandering around. She's got enough gospel light to save the continent. And it's an in-your-face deal, and I knew it was. And I thought, you know what? Um, I, don't, I, I don't know. I thought, I'm not going. Even to the reunion. I never got invited to the wedding, and we wouldn't have gone to that. But I thought, no, you know, you better sort of be a Christian. (laughs) 
So I went, and I decided, okay, um, I'm not getting it. The, the, the wife or whatever slinked around, and I didn't have to bother with her. But I thought, you know what? Um, I've always been close to her, and I've loved her, and I, um, her, her dad kind of disappeared when she was younger, so I co-signed a bunch of college loans for her, and, you know, I was close to her. Um, I thought, there's, she knows exactly where I'm at because she avoided me like the plague. But I thought, okay, um, we got to save her soul. Um, I, so I visited with her. Obviously, we didn't, I didn't ask her about the ring on her hand and chat about that. Um, but I knew I was supposed to do that. Now, again, that wasn't the ceremony itself. I wouldn't have gone to it. She knew, she knew not to invite any of my family to it. So I guess she had enough respect for us. Um, but I cannot, I can't participate in something that would telegraph that I'm condoning it and supporting it by my presence. Something that is diametrically opposed to God and what his word has said. I, I just don't know you know, how we can get off of that horns of dilemma, okay? Um, anyway, <clears throat> now, I will say I'm, I don't know what every single case in the world is like, um, For me, I don't see how, if I knew up front what my presence would do, I could, I could do it. I don't know if I can come up in my own mind with a situation where it would be okay, at least not for me. So I don't want to be saying to you, thus, you know, thus saith the Lord Dan, um, this is the way you have to do it, period. But, but, I'm being pretty strongly opinionated, yeah. Uh, no, go ahead. no, I'm done. I mean, I'm, I was just saying the same thing. There's a reiteration that Jesus ate with the prostitutes, he ate with the tax collectors, the sinners, and we are to do similar things. It's just, the difference is, if they say that I'm a Christian, and I'm yeah. serving God, he says, you have to leave the world, Paul says. You know, you can't leave the world. The sin is everything. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't mean we stay away from sinners. We stay away from homosexuals even. Again, going to the wedding is not what we want to be doing. But, you know, you can't save anybody you don't have a relationship with. You know, and uh, again, the difference being whether or not they're a Christian or say they are. Yeah, you know, in this case, they, they didn't profess anything, but had enough light again. They, they um, so... I think I think the one thing that's happened to us um, as a church, I mean, maybe even the global church, but especially Western civilization, um, when Christianity began to grow, it was in a world that was barbaric, okay? Cruel unfeeling, remorseless. The exposure of babies was common in Romans. In, in the Roman, you just, they didn't necessarily abort them if they were born. You just put them out in the woods or whatever and let them die of the elements. Um, you have half of the population was, were slaves. 50% of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. And they were total property, and you could do anything you want. Kill them, do, it didn't matter. They were just barbarians. Well, Christians came into that, 
And when the plagues came and when um, natural disasters came and whatever, the Christians acted um, lovingly and kindly. They literally took the sick who were brought by the, their families out and laid them in the streets to get them out of the house. And they, with the Black Plague or whatever, they're just dying on the street curb. The Christians would go take them into their own homes, risking the disease themselves to care for them. So against a black, uh, just barbaric, hateful, cruel world, Christians shined as compassionate lives and lights, okay? We've really been in that position for almost 2,000 years. The tables have been turned on us. Everything has been flipped to where if we stick to the Bible and the words of Jesus, we're the haters. The pressure is on us to be with a completely false definition of compassion. The pressure is on us to show compassion. It's not compassion. It's like a, a book by a converted, it's a, this guy's well known um, now, except I can't remember, his last name is Ewan. But anyway, converted out of a total gay lifestyle um, and is now a minister, has written a tremendous book. He, he calls it, he says we're loving, we're not just gays, but just the wicked in general. Those are godless people that hate God. And don't have, you know. He said we're loving them straight to hell. In the name of compassion, we are essentially pulling back from stating hard truth, and we're not helping them. It's not compassion, but it's labeled that way. So we are now always, we're the haters, we're the ones that are on the defensive, um, and we're, what, you know, this, what would Jesus do? And we, we know Jesus um, ignored the prejudices and the petty hypocrisies of the Pharisees and ate in the same place with people that were tax collectors, prostitutes, and so forth. But he never, he never condoned that, nor did he, you know, sink to their level. He lifted every place, he elevated every place he went to. Um, and these weren't situations where you know, the local brothels put on a big you know, parade and Jesus went to it. That wasn't, yes, he was around people that were, and they nailed him for picked at him all the time. You're eating with sinners. Um, yes, but he was being accused of sinners. Um, God is not afraid. Uh, he's antiseptic to sin. The great works of um, organizations that today have kind of faded away, um, but the great works of you know the Salvation Army um, and all of the um, ministries to. Um, well, the, the red lights, districts, the, the skid row, all that stuff. Um, you had to go, you had to go among them, but you never partook of their activities. Um, so, anyway, um, I didn't think that this would eat up all of our time, but, or a lot of it. But I think um, we are... The church today, in a maybe, and I grant this, a very well-intentioned, well-meaning effort to reach out to people. Um, I think in a lot of cases we've gone too far, and part of what we've done is another whole theological issue, but we've backed off from the power of the atonement. Now let me explain quickly what I mean. 
you know most of you the circumstances in which we left our previous denomination three years ago and it was over um, a professing openly acknowledging I'm gay and couldn't shut his mouth about telling everybody youth or child's pastor in one of our congregations um, and they wanted to ordain him and I was on the board and ministry that did that and um, wasn't the only one but we were in a minority standing saying there is no way we're going to do that the fact that we're even discussing it is ridiculous but the question was or the position was he's born that way he can't ever be different he can not practice it but he's always going to be strongly inclined to it. It is okay that he identifies himself as a gay Christian. Um, my point was this. Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds every, he said a bunch of things, murder, adultery, fornication, all kinds of stuff, uh, gossip, hatred, whatever. But he also said in that bad list, all kinds of sexual immorality, it comes from the heart. Now, once we identify the source and the location of sinful behavior as the heart, not biology, then the remedy is certain. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin, period. The atonement either purifies our hearts, forgives us, and when he said, all, things have, all the old things have passed away, all things have become new, I guess he was just blowing hot air. No. God, there's nothing too hard for God. He can take that. He can take any inclination to evil out of my heart. Or he isn't God. So, there's where I think the church also, we have, we have um, diminished and watered down the unlimited power of the blood of Jesus to change our hearts. And so we limit God and then we settle for, since God's plan isn't good enough then we substitute human psychology we substitute 12 step programs nobody can get off of alcohol and drugs unless they go through a 12 step program the old days you know of the town drunk going to the altar during the big revival and quit why well, doesn't happen anymore well yeah because nobody preaches anymore but it can still happen because the blood of Jesus hadn't changed. So that's where we are misdefining compassion on a lot of stuff and treating the person that is, you know, on drugs or alcohol, whatever the addiction is, the bondage is, treating them as a victim rather than a perpetrator. He that committeth sin is the slave of it, Jesus said. What's the operative word there? Commits. Well, I'm just a slave. I can't help it. I... He that commits it, that's a choice. You understand what I mean? I decided. He that commits it, that brings the bondage. Then, yes, I'm a victim in the sense that I can't get out of it but I'm not a I'm not blameless anyway we've we have we have just neutered the gospel in many ways to make it palatable to the the days that we are in now so um see I had you want you want to know the truth here I have, and I don't have every one of them marked, 
but off of a list of 34 different ethical issues in addition to all the ones we've already looked at. That's the list I got, and this is the first, <laughs> this is, we're now going to get out of here um, without getting anything done. If we, any other, but I don't want to shut things off. Any, any other comments, thoughts, and then maybe we can get, get to um, maybe one other less controversial um, ethical issue. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um <clears throat> Here's one. Um, the Bible has an awful lot to say about speech of Christians. And when I say speech, just everyday conversation. And it says that we are to avoid any unclean talk, any coarse joking our speech it says is to be pure we're not to use um, I'll get in trouble here and I'm not I honestly am not I'm just I'm just telling you where I'm at I don't think my parents were conspiracy theorists or nutcases and virtually everybody else in the church world when I was a little kid in saying that obviously everybody knows you don't take God's name in vain. Um, you know, you, you, you don't swear. But the theory, I think, was everybody's got these close substitutes. Okay. Gosh for God. Heck for hell. Um, darn for damn um, and I don't think that's idiotic to think that okay so now you know the true cuss words I mean we never even thought about saying that um, but we weren't even allowed to say gosh gall darn dang because it was a poor, close substitute for the real thing, okay? Um, now, I'm not saying that anybody here that, that says gosh is on a rocket ride to hell. I, I'm not saying that at all, okay? But I do think that we have let a lot slip there in the matter of just our talk. Um, and the whole issue of coarse joking, the scripture says, bathroom humor. He said, don't let that once be named among you as saints. Don't talk like that. But we find a lot of times we do hear it. Um, there's, a, there's a level, not of snooty, <laughs> uppity, um, do you remember the church lady on Saturday Night Live <laughs> um, that was real, you know, not like that. Um, God doesn't like that. But just um, the scripture everywhere, every letter addressed, is, it, it's to the holy ones. The holy ones at, in Galatia, to the holy ones in Ephesus. Well, he intends that we be that way. Um, any thoughts on that? <laughs> and it's 8.02, so. Perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Pardon me? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father. Yeah, 
be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, I just, I just think that um, for a variety of reasons, we, we've just uh, very gradually, imperceptibly, a lot of times unnoticeably, we allow ourselves to just kind of take on the, the attitudes, the habits, the language um, of, of the world. And it, it's almost unnoticeable bias, but we need to notice it, yeah. Um, the statement Jesus made is a tough one and he meant it to be he said and the illustration I think I think this fits back when I was a little kid I can remember my mom would you know use a pressure cooker Um, and I think that's what it was you know you kind of Cramp down the clamp, you know, they have these clamps. And then it's got, when the pressure gets to a certain point, it, it, you know, it pops a spring and it lets off steam. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What your heart is full of to the point of pushing the spring up and the pressure valve lets go, that's what it is. This is the pressure valve. And he said, what your heart's clear full of comes out there. So, it's like, now I've, I don't know, maybe once or twice, I've preached these, you know, just dynamic, life-changing sermons um, from the King James Version of Peter. When Peter was... um, warming his hands by the fire and they were saying you know when they were trying Jesus and they were saying you're one of them you're one of his disciples and the King James uses an old word nobody uses anymore but says thy speech berayeth thee it's another use of another slightly different for betrays you our speech betrays us our speech, meaning it, it reveals what's in here because I can't, I can't hide that and it will come out. Even the subject, forget swearing and all that, just the things that occupy our talk. Um, that's one thing why, you know, I don't mean to be just a grouch and a curmudgeon um, here tonight <laughs> or other times. That's part of the reason that I, I'm, I'm not on Facebook. I don't, I don't know. I've never been on Twitter. I'm not, I'm not on any of that stuff. Um, I think it, it, it may be one of the worst things about it is not um, the many cases the, the scummy subjects that are discussed. It's just a waste of time. It is often. Now, again, understand me here. I think it's just a massive collection of morons with too much time on their hands or wasting it who pool their moronism with a whole bunch of other people. And everybody's commenting and nobody has a brain in their head. That's, but why do we do that? Because that's what our hearts are full of. The world's hearts are just full of nonsense, trivial, meaningless stuff. doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) Wonderful. uh, (laughs) But listen, these things are, these things are ethical issues. And here's the last thing that I'll mention that has, I spent too much time today um, reading some of A.W. Tozer. Um, Tozer w- died in 1963, but you'd think that guy, um, you know, was born, was still alive. He forecast perfectly 
the situation we find even today in the so-called Bible-believing churches. And one of the little devotionals I read of his today, he said, if someone tells you A.W. Tozer is an awfully negative preacher, he said, smile, agree with them completely, and say, yes, it's because he preaches the Bible. <laughs> There's a lot of hard things in the Bible, and we want to strain them out. We want to pour it through a you know, little sieve and get out all the stuff that might offend people. Um, we can't do that. Um, we have to take the whole truth. And as the world really presses in on us, we got to be aware that it's there, how it's pressing on us, and be able to press back. Okay, well, maybe we'll have a happier time next week. Because um, I still got quite a few. What do we have? Three? I think three Wednesdays. Um, the kids all the kids and the youth, they have really two nights and then the, next, the final Wednesday, they have ice cream and pizza and all this, but we're not having any fun at all in here. <laughs> anyway, all right, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I know that you know that the way that leadeth unto life is a narrow way. And that word, even, originally means difficult. There are times, Lord, when we're walking upstream, when this world is not a friend of ours. But, Lord, you promised that you would never, ever leave our side. And you will walk with us no matter what we face. And around the world today, Lord, you know there are many Christians that are losing their lives for your namesake. So we pray that we would be uh, well-armed with the salvation armament and we would know you and know the path we've got to take. Keep us and guide us through the remainder of the week. Keep us safe, we ask, as we go our ways tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you are dismissed. <laughs>